Nevertheless, you will fly from here, he gasped. This is the island where dreams come true. That's the island I've been looking for this long time, said one of the sailors. I reckoned I'd find I was married to Nancy if we landed here. And I'd find Tom alive again, said another. Fools, said the man, stamping his foot with rage. That is the sort of talk that brought me here. And I'd better have been drowned or never born. Do you hear what I say? This is where dreams, dreams, do you understand? Come to life, come real. Not daydreams, dreams. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the fifth book in the series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we go on tangents into other stories that we enjoy. We will do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we're discussing The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Chapter 12, The Dark Island. Which is... Kind of a misnomer, because there is no land. I didn't see any land, but, Kel, I didn't see anything. It was, it was really dark. It was, you saw as much of that as our listeners do with us, so. Yeah, uh, it, uh, really, this is a full experiential podcast. You get to experience this chapter as your listener. This is the podcast where dreams come true, but not like your good ones, where you're like, man, this is a you know, I dreamt it was a really good podcast. It was like, no, it was like, like a bad dream. Yeah, this is like that dream where your dog gets out and you can't find him. And that's like the whole dream. And you just wake up and be like, I never had a dog. Mm. This is... this Turns is, out yes. you were the dog the whole time. Yes. You turned into the dog and it turns out you were the one who was lost. Uh, this is great therapy. Great stuff, man. Chase, I'm going to give us a summary. Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) The ship sailed southeast for 12 days before they saw land, and they sailed toward it, but as they got closer, they saw it wasn't land at all, but a cloud of deep darkness. If you went in, you would disappear into solid blackness, even though it was 9 a.m. in broad daylight. As they sailed into it, they could see clearly a few feet in front of them, but a little further, it looked like the darkest night. They questioned whether they should sail into it, and Caspian and the sailors thought they shouldn't. But then Reba Chief spoke up, demanding then, uh, that they that they keep moving forward uh, and that they explain why not. He said, nobles such as them shouldn't be afraid of the dark. Drinian pushed back, asking what use it would be plowing into the darkness. And Reba Chief point, pointed out that the point of their journey was adventure and glory and keep going, I guess. The rest grumbled, and they made Lucy cast the deciding vote because they're cowards uh, and they really want a girl to be their scapegoat. But she didn't want to, but she said she was game. They lit all the lights they could uh, at the stern, and they ventured into the darkness. The lights looked eerie and unnatural, floating in the darkness. Nobody knew how long they were in the dark, and time seemed to move slowly. But suddenly, from nowhere, there came a cry, either some inhuman voice or someone so scared that they sounded inhuman. Ripachi yelled out, asking who calls and if they were friend or foe. The voice cried out for mercy, saying that even if they kill him, they should free him from this horrible land. Caspian welcomed the man uh, aboard. Uh, and they heard someone swimming in the water. They pulled up a wild man looking with uh, white hair and, you know, real uh, Albert Einstein kind of, you know, looking. Uh, he looked terrified and told them to flee the land. And they asked why. And he said that this is where the, the island where dreams come true. A sailor joked this is the island he'd been looking for. And uh, several offered uh, wishes that they had. But the ragged man calls them fools and said the island isn't real uh, daydreams, but is actual dreams, nightmares. Quickly, the sailors jumped into action, having remembered certain dreams they would not want to uh, be reality. Reepicheep criticized the escape, but all the humans on board were hastily trying to get away as they imagined the wicked realities they were running from, and they're the ones who could reach the oars. So sorry about it, Reepicheep. They were all panicking, uh, thinking they would never get out, but Lucy prayed to Aslan, asking that if he ever loved them at all, he would send help now. And wouldn't you know it, through the darkness, uh, even though the darkness itself didn't change, she began to feel better, remembering that nothing bad had actually happened yet. There was just the dark. Then someone yelled out that they saw a light in the distance. The darkness around them didn't change, but it was as if, a, as if the boat was caught in a searchlight. It looked to them like a cross. Wouldn't you believe it? And then it appeared as though something inside were a, a beam of light, like a plane or a bird or a dragon or Superman. Uh, it circled the boat three times and for a moment rested on the mast and called out in a strong, sweet voice that no one could understand. Lucy heard a whisper that said, 
courage, dear heart. And she wrote it on a plaque on her Etsy board uh, and began selling it and knew at once that it was from Aslan. After a few moments, the blackness turned to grayness and then they emerged back into the blue of sky and sea. The men they rescued thanked him and said he was the Lord Roop, Roop a Scoop. Uh, he asked them that they had that they may never take him back there. But when they looked back, they saw that somehow the dark island was gone. And they realized that the darkness was within themselves the whole time, like Chase is going to talk about later. But they sailed on with good wind and rested and had joy in their hearts. And it turns out nothing happened in this chapter except they discovered Lord Roop. Roop did he scoop. Roop did he scoop poop. Roop. <laughs> you know, Chase, uh, sometimes you you just you have to deal with the fact that you're a little bit more scared of the dark than you want to admit. I mean, have you ever been, or, yeah, you know when you're in the kind of dark room where, like, there's so little light that your eyes just start making up things to see? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, if you're... That you is know, a weird space to be in. Totally. You see, you know, your sweater hanging over a chair and it's a monster, but it turns out it's just a sweater on a chair. Yeah. Then you wonder, did I ever own a sweater in the first place? And then the sweater eats your family? Yeah. And then you go, wait, where am I? I don't have a sweater. This isn't even my house. <laughs> and then it turns out you were the monster. <laughs> you murdered your family. There's a lot of uh turns out we were the villain the whole time references in this podcast. Just we're going to we're going to throw it out there to y'all. Uh it's, but uh, yeah, probably because there's not much else that happens in this chapter. It's really it's, you know, could have been really cool. But nope. Uh, Love a good, we're going to walk to a spot and then walk back and nothing's going to happen between here and there other than we pick up a thing on the ground. Totally. This is it a, is, and that thing happens to be one of the lords they're searching for, but whatever. So side on, mission that's optional in most video games. It like You'll get bonus points from it, but like it's not required to defeat the final villain. Yeah, it's kind of for yeah. the completionist. The armor upgrade you get isn't worth the actual time that you spent getting it. No, it's just like what you do when you've already defeated the villain and you're going back and you're like, man, I have 99.7% done. And so you go and say, oh, what's this dark patch? You sail through it and then you sail out and you're done. Yeah. Uh, but it's the whole thing. That's it. But Chase, on the 13th day after leaving, uh, the, the, the duffel pud mutters of whatever their names are i i don't even i don't even know anymore they yeah. don't matter that much uh but uh on the 13th day uh they see what looks like a giant mountain rising out of the sea and so they alter their course to go and uh you know make their make their stay on it but about nine in the morning they realize that it's not actually land at all but instead it's just a giant mass of darkness an amoeba of dark and uh and that's our that's our antagonist for this chapter is the darkness, Chase. Yeah, is this a black hole? Did they find a black hole? Uh, it could be if it was actually dangerous. Is this the island from Lost? But if you don't crash into it on a plane, you can't actually find it. Are you saying that this dark mass is purgatory? Kind of. It, it or, might or be Lord Root. Yeah, it's literally just a waiting place until you move. <laughs> to another spot because nothing happened i mean yeah it uh at a minimum i think the smoke monster from lost got lost <laughs> it's, it's just on the water still yeah it's just he got stuck like he wandered out a little bit too far and lost sight of the land and now he's Fair. just kind of there but he and he's too terrified to move in any direction because he's like i don't know if that's the right one yeah so he just yeah. stays where he is because that's the safest option yeah, he wasn't even trying to capture Lord Root. Lord Root just kind of wandered into him. And, and I have thoughts about this. I have thoughts about this as we get to Lord Root eventually. But this, you know, cloud of darkness, this blackness, it it allows them to basically see themselves and what's like immediately around them. It's that kind of dark. Like a, they describe it like if you went further and further and further into a tunnel where there used to be light and now there's nothing and you can't really see anything in front of you. That's what it looks like. Uh, and so light still works there. Like your eyes can comprehend things slightly, but it's just very, very little. Yeah. It's, it's more like a, a sludge 
they just there, there's the light's not going to pass through it. Yeah, it's dark matter. I think uh, could be, uh, but they uh, you know everyone's kind of scared to go through it because they're like, oh, this is weird. There's this dark mass that shouldn't be here in the middle of the day. Should we sail through it? And Chase, I feel like the understandable and reasonable and rational answer is no. We don't need to. Probably not. Like, like what? What's the benefit of? And that's it? and that's what they ask. They say, "What is the use?" Like Drinian, who I think doesn't get as much credit for being as rational as he is, uh, you know, in the midst of like monsters and fantasy land, is like, "But what is the use of moving forward?" Uh, but <laughs> Repo Cheap comes in with some like. Some some tough looks in this, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in my further up and further in. Is Ripacheep looks a lot like an imperialist right now, and it's not in a good way. If there is a good way of looking like one, because uh, he he first goes, if I were addressing peasants or slaves, I might suppose this suggestion proceeded from cowardice. Oof, oof, with a capital O. And then uh, he goes. What use, Captain Drinian? If by use do you mean filling our bellies or our purses, sure. Yeah, there's no use at all. But I thought we were looking for things like honor and adventure. Uh, and here is a great adventure as I've ever seen. And like everyone's like, <laughs> I like that it, uh, <laughs> it's like, people who've read the chapter can be like, I don't know about that. I don't know about this one, buddy. Uh, and uh, C.S. Lewis, like, it's a really funny line. Uh, it's like one of the sailors sounded something or like said something under under their breath that was like, honor be blowed. <laughs> Just like, I'm a big fan, uh, big fan of sassy sailors, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, but uh, Caspian is basically like, man, screw you, Reaper Chief. Like, of course, you would say something like this. And now we basically have to go because we don't want to look like we're cowards. And yeah, totally honor and glory and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I mean, at that point, if if you're willing to go far enough to be like, ah, oh, Reaper Cheap, come on. Like, we should have just left you at home. Like, what are you doing? Like, if you're willing to say that out loud, then why not just be like, I'm the king. I don't see any value in this risk. We should sail on and find actual land like you know think the thing that you're supposed to be trying to do but they were like hey as opposed to uh, like caspian's like i know that i'm the king and all but as opposed to me making a decision i am gonna let lucy decide this because i don't you know if she's scared of the dark you know i don't want i don't want her to feel scared so like lucy wink wink cough cough are you scared and lucy's like I ain't afraid of no ghosts. And she says, I'm game. Yeah. Lucy's like, don't push me under that bus. Come on. <laughs> She's like, you know what? Fine. Sail into the darkness. See what I care. Uh, and <laughs> like, uh, Dridian's like, should we at least put lights on the front of the boat? And Caspian's like, yes, yes, absolutely do that. So they put some torches and lanterns uh, on the masthead. And it helps a little bit. They can at least kind of see the, the lights in the distance, uh, but they can't really see anything else except for what's immediately around them. Uh, and so they're, you know, going through the darkness and they, you know, time is moving slowly with, and like, which makes sense because it's, it kind of like the phenomenon I would imagine of being like in Alaska where it's always daylight for 23 hours or always nighttime, depending on the time of year. And it's just kind of hard to know what time it is because nothing changes. Why, when I go to Alaska later this very summer, I'm going to take my watch with me. Smart. <laughs> Man. Do they have watches in, uh, in Narnia? That I doesn't feel like an inv- invention that's gotten there yet. I don't think they believe in it, you know. Um, Crafts. Yeah, same with cell phones. Uh, they're, they, they only operate uh, by sending dog sleds uh, with messages attached to them. So. I mean, that is an effective way to text. 
it's it gets the message across, man. Uh, but it really makes it annoying. Up to your house, you pull a little note off its collar, and it just says, it just "says hey. you up." <laughs> it says "you up," or uh, it just goes, "k k." <laughs> and you're like, "Man, I kind of want to kill this dog now," but that seems like a harsh response. I think that is a pretty harsh response. I'm not for killing dogs, kill. I'm not either, but I'm just saying, you waited this long for a k. And, and I mean, you're in the middle of the wilderness, so that's probably the only meat you're going to see for months. Could be, could be, because you know there are no people in Alaska, just dogs. Yeah, just and, dogs. and moose. It's a society of intelligent dogs. Yeah, Makes honestly, sense. it's why it's the least corrupted place. I respect it. You know, dogs are pure and makes sense. But kind of like that episode of Avatar. With a buried library. Mm. uh, There are no people in there, so everything remains undisturbed. Yeah, and the people ruin everything, but it's also run by foxes. And a a really, you know, dictatorial owl, but, you know. A terrifying owl, but the the foxy librarians are pretty great. Yeah, (laughs) but not not foxy in the way of, like, uh, you know, a like the the cue to someone's uh, fantasy, uh, but yeah. but foxy they're, librarian is like literally a fox. Yeah, they look librarian. like foxes. I mean, sure, they're they're attractive animals, but it's uh, I think we need not, to move on. Way. I think we need to move forward. That that joke uh, is explicitly made in the kids' show, so I feel perfectly comfortable making that joke here. That, I mean, I watched there's that. A of, there's a lot of three jokes days made ago. In, I mean, have you seen Shrek? There's a lot of jokes made in kid shows that we wouldn't feel comfortable saying on this podcast. I mean, Shrek is a lot like C.S. Lewis, where they're w- willing to say a certain word that we've decided. They're talking about donkeys, man. Yeah, they talking do. About donkeys. Look, whenever you talk about donkeys, stuff comes up, you know? It's going to happen. But they keep moving into the darkness, uh, and eventually they hear a cry that either is, you know, some creature or just a human that's terrified, probably the latter. Uh, and you know, Reaper Cheap calls out, going, "If you're, you know, who like if you're a foe, we don't fear you. Which y- you don't know if you should fear them or not. And if you're a friend, then your enemies shall be taught the fear of us. You're like Reaper Cheap is all over the place right now. Also, wasn't the moral of the last island that you were on like maybe you should investigate when you can't see your enemy first? Some would say. Like that would also that mean the whole that people thing that learn. But that would also mean that people like, you know, learn from anything when in the reality in the last chapter, no one learned from anything because there was no consequences ever. It was just okay, cool. Here's these invisible creatures that asked us to do something. We did it, we leave. But even by doing it, we still made mistakes, but Aslan kind of just made sure that those mistakes didn't have any actual implications. I mean, you're describing the essential problem with this book. That it, <laughs> Which, like, not to hate on C.S. Lewis, not to hate on this book, because I, I actually really enjoy this book. Sure. Uh, but it is a series of mini quests that don't really amount to anything. Like, you have the most minor character developments uses being the only major one yeah. everyone else is just kind of there and it's it's inconsequential like it's it's the tough part of having a book with no antagonist and no end goal really like the goal of this book stated in here is we're going on a voyage to see if we can figure out what happened to these seven lords which is the least like audience buy-in you could get. There's nothing compelling for us. The previous ones, you're going into this unknown world, and you're here. To, like y'all are the like prophesied saviors. Uh, you know, you're uh, you're in that realm. The yeah. you know one with Caspian. You are here to you know make Narnia right and pure and clean again. 
I'm not going to say what you thought I was going to say. Yeah, uh, we can move on from that and, one. Yeah, and Horse and like, Boy, it's, it's, it's an too, escape story. And they like were trying to get out of the place of darkness into the place of light in the mm-hmm. way that this chapter doesn't manage to do. Right. This book is the Odyssey, except there is no Ithaca at the end. There is there is no like end goal. You're not trying to get home to your wife and kids. You're just sailing for sailing's sake. Right, which is what people do. Again, this is the imperialist British mindset, but that's not exactly exciting. You know, you have to be sailing towards something. Reading this from a 21st century American context, we, like, there is a lot of British imperialist jokes in this book that we don't really call out because (laughs) no one would get them or care but they don't add to the plot (laughs) correct it uh you know it is what it is but the the biggest thing that this book accomplishes is not its explicit stated goal uh but it's hey we're introducing you to eustace who is going to be the main character for the two books that follow this one yeah, it just and feels like we could have done that in a better way. It you could have, but that also would require an editor, and you know that's tough. But Chase edit C.S. Lewis. But Chase, that brings us to the person who's actually crying. Mercy, mercy! If only you're just another dream, even still take mercy on me, Chase. Roop, roop! Did he scoop? Is that Lord Roop's music? Just crying in the dark. Same. <laughs> Same, bro. Looking, it's been a tough few years for everyone. Uh, As... But we come upon who we will find out at the end of the chapter is the missing Lord Roop. And wouldn't you believe it? The only purpose of this chapter was to just discover another Lord who was just in this darkness for years, it seems. But Chase, here's my, here's my thing. And here's my question that I want to pose to you. Is he says he will like that, you know, he's like, hey, take mercy on me, even if you're another dream. Uh, and they're like, hey, come on board. And they he starts swimming toward them. Uh, and he looks like a wild man, right? So it's clearly been a long time, and time is not affecting him, I guess, somehow, <laughs> other than his physical appearance. There's no way he's been able to find food. Has he been floating this whole time? So is this here, fresh water? Here's my question, and this is why it's frustrating. Like, this is why this chapter is frustrating because they introduce, like C.S. Lewis introduces what could have been a really, really cool concept. Yeah. Of like an actual island where your nightmares come true, where your worst fears and dreams come true. And they have to battle those things and escape those things. Instead, you only hear about this from a man who has been stranded for like, what, 20 years-ish? Like, I mean, I don't know how old Caspian is at this point. We got to assume mid to late 20s, maybe. Like, he, so, and he was a child when this happened. So let's say 20 years that he's been stranded in this darkness. And the only word, the only description of the Island and what it does that you get comes from him, who is also described as kind of a crazy person. Yeah. Is this reliable? It doesn't feel like it. I mean, the problem with this chapter comes down to C.S. Lewis doesn't deal with the problem that he presents. Yeah. Like in, in normal storytelling, you present a problem you have, and your characters have to figure out how to deal with that problem. They have the moment of, of conflict, uh, the, the climax, and then you have the after effects of them having solved that problem. Yeah. This is just, there's a problem Aslan, please help. God in the machine, Deus Ex Machina, they get out. It's like 
they he he skips the pro like he started writing the chapter and changed his mind about whether or not he actually felt like writing this chapter. So press the escape button. Like I really like what this chapter could have been. Like the concept of darkness being like this consuming, you know, place. And like if they had left the island and it like still just floated around or like it was just this mysterious place and they agreed, you know, never to go back again. They mark it kind of like they did the Dragon Island where it's like, hey, don't go here. Like you need to avoid this place because in this darkness, you're going to, you know, you're like you're going to your your loved ones. Like are gonna die. It's kind of like a. It's a. It's an island bogger from Harry yeah. Potter. Or if the that that is a good point. Uh, if the like guy who said, "Oh, I bet if I lived here, I would have been married to whoever." Like if instead of saying that as like a throwaway joke, he went down like into the water to help get this man up. And the second his feet touched the shallow water, he saw her in the distance saying his name and how they were finally to be married. Real, real second that way. Like if it was a like Island of temptation of your dreams and then those dreams turn in. That would also have been super interesting. That could have been a really cool, like mini quest. And then like, you could have had a moment of like, well, Reaper Cheap is the only non-human here. So he could or, have been the like, one to like round them up and get them out. Or give like Eustace a, a chance to be like heroic, not as a dragon, you know? Yeah, like, I've already lived worse than my greatest nightmare. I can he's like I've pursued my dream of like wealth and it wasn't worth it. There or like, you know, there's a lot of really cool things that could have been done with this, but instead what you get is the introduction of a concept that scares people, but nothing happens. Like he he says, this is the island where dreams come true, not daydreams, but you know, nightmares. And then everyone starts getting really scared. And, you know, in after 30 seconds, they start freaking out because they're they're like oh man i know what my nightmares are so again they learned nothing from the previous year or from the previous island saying like hey these people that are saying something aren't reliable narrator or narrators they're what they're saying isn't true what if this guy is not actually believable not that you shouldn't discount what he's saying but like you need to weigh it and measure it because your only source of information is coming from a dude who, at glance, like we say, don't judge a book by a cover, but that's exactly what we do. Like, it, you don't, you know, if, if a, a book with a cool cover, like if a if a person who has been stranded in the middle of the ocean, whose hair is crazy and looks like a wild man, starts telling you that this is where nightmares occur, like. You should hear him, take what he says, you know, with some importance, but also you need to weigh and measure it before making like rash decisions. Like you need to think and be like, okay, cool. What is our next chain of action? If this like person is speaking the truth, we should leave. We should try to get out of here and like keep a cool head. If he's not telling the truth or if he's a crazy person, which I think is a legitimate option here. Because he's been stranded in the dark for 20 years. Like, what if he's hallucinating things? Because that happens. He's malnourished. He's not getting, you know, like the things he needs to. And how much better would it have been if at first they didn't believe him because sure. they thought he was a crazy person? And then it turned they out. They saw real. their dreams coming true. And then he warning them no we got to get out of here we got to get out of here but they are just seeing their dreams but what they don't realize is that their dreams are going to turn into nightmares yeah again would have been really interesting this is like if you want to odyssey this book which is what this book is and this is you know take a you know if this is the lotus eaters for example like I don't know if this is there's not a direct correlation, but say it 
you know, you could make it a Lotus Eater chapter where it's like, no, things are good. Life is great. Uh, And, you know, we don't need to go anywhere. But that ends up being a disaster that ends up costing them. Or, you know, if this is the the, the cattle of the sun god, where it's like, no, do not eat those because then you'll die. And then they die. Like, they're like, have there be consequences. No one would die in this book. Except, you know, uh, for, for bad people, uh, you know, but like, that's, that's the, I think the difference between like beginning fantasy and and things like this and like modern fantasy is if, if Brandon Sanderson is writing this or George R. R. Martin is these kids, like someone's dying here, you know? And, and it doesn't, like, we're not saying that you have to be graphic you have to, you know, kill people off to have a compelling story. But you have to have consequences. You have to have yeah. cause and the effect. Reason, like, the reason everyone bought in at the end of season one of Game of Thrones without spoiling it. Spoiling it he- heavy spoiler coming. I, I mean, I'm not even going to do it because I want people okay. to watch it. I mean. And experience it. But, but where the, like, obvi- like it, there's a lot of nudity in that show. If that's not for you, it's not for you. Uh, but the thing that everyone realized at the end of that season is that, Oh dang, there's stakes in this show. There <laughs> like, are they are not going to hold back. I thought that was the main character and now he doesn't have a head. So there are, there are no stakes in this book because at each problem, because they didn't it, bring any cows on the boat. That's a great point. Uh, that's a great point, Chase. Uh, they don't have a big enough boat for that, truly. But and also that would have just been gross and messy. Uh, but they like there are no stakes on this voyage because at each point of resistance, they either solve it within a chapter or Aslan solves it for them, which yeah. happens in the past two islands or places they visited here. Uh, and it's it's just tough to deal with. And so they, you know, they start like the, the people start freaking out and Reepicheep keeps his cool head and is like, hey, are you going to like, are you going to tolerate all these people acting nuts and like, you know, acting of their own accord and basically like, of their own accord and like starting a riot and panic. And Caspian is one of them being like, get out of here, row for your lives, which like, here's the thing. Would have been an okay response if you're going like, okay, I don't trust this. We already didn't like it. Let's just get out of here. There yeah. is no, you know, purpose to being here. Let's just leave. Uh, and like Reepichi makes a, a comment about being like, I'm glad that I am, you know, no man kind of thing that I'm not affected by this. And it's like, okay, you know, could have done something with that, but it really doesn't even matter. Um, and they try rowing out and they keep going, but they realize they can't. They like they don't know which direction they're going in. They're lost. They're stuck in the darkness. Could have done something. Again, yeah. Could have done something could with that invisible maze. Could have been so like, many versions of this level in a video game that would be fun to play. Like th- this could have been good. And then they start basically just going like they they go between some of the people on the ship asking if they hear things that are going on uh and they're like do you hear scissors do you hear crawling on the side of the ship do you hear gongs and people are they're just letting their their imaginations run wild uh because as we will hear at the end of the chapter nothing had happened there was nothing going on which them starting to hear things like you really do wonder is this in their head or is this actually happening but again you're going to get no description yeah. because you spend less than a chapter on, in the darkness. You, and you, you don't like, and like he, it's the, the, the smoking gun, the Chekhov's gun principle where he, he introduces this, but then doesn't do anything with it as we talked about earlier. And so you just, it turns out just, you want Chekhov to have a gun, <laughs> like do something with it, you know? Even if you throw the gun at someone, at least do it, you know, something with it. The gun bursts into flames and 
burns down the house. Like, right. Or make it a red herring, at least something, you know, but this is just, it's introducing something. There, there are easier ways. If your purpose was to just find Lord Roop, like, honestly, the, there would have been no difference between him just being on a stranded island castaway style as a crazy person at this point and like being malnourished and, you know, having, uh, you know, a Narnian volleyball as a friend, there would have been no difference between that story and the darkness that we get and being like, like him going, no, you don't understand. There are like things on this Island that we like, we need to leave. Like there are like predators, there are bears and wolves that we need to avoid. And they're like, Oh, I don't like bears and wolves. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Same exact thing happens. Yeah, I don't know. It also feels like what they work towards is just, like, if you're afraid of the dark, just pray to Jesus and he'll make it better. Like, And so that's what you, you you know, you bring up. Lucy's response in all of the madness and all of the craziness, she goes, Aslan, Aslan, if you've ever loved us at all, send us help now. Which... If you've ever loved us at all, when you saw him yesterday or two weeks, 13 ago, days ago, yeah. yeah, when you saw him 13 days ago and he literally saved you from casting a spell that would have destroyed the world based on the pages in the book, who would have um, thought? Like, it just feels like, like, there, there is the aspect of it that's like good storytelling. That's, oh, how quickly we forget what has just been done on our behalf when we find ourselves in a bind like that, that part of it's like, okay. Yeah. But on the front of like, really, if you've ever loved us at all, like, is that, is that really how from the pastor hat being put on? Like, is, is that how you pray? Like, like trying to bend God's hand, like, yeah. If you really loved me, you would give me this. Like yeah. that's not good theology. And no. it's not questioned in the chapter, which is why I'm questioning it, is because C.S. Lewis presents this as the solution. Right. And, and like that's bad that's bad discipleship of the children reading this book. Like truly, I'm not opposed to like belief in Aslan being the thing that conquers the darkness. Sure. That could like, be the thing that makes like, we've already see through the darkness. Like, exactly. Like we've, we've already touched in previous podcasts. Like there is an association with Aslan and light, you know, with this idea of like, he radiates because that's like, they're building the illumination, you know, doctrine of God kind of thing. That he is the source of light. We've touched on that in previous podcasts. That's been uh, addressed it could easily be a thing where like the way to escape this was to go even in the darkness, we still have Aslan. He doesn't have to physically be present or to, you know, send a whisper through the, through the darkness and, you know, send a, a, like a, a heavy handed cross light that comes through uh, into the, like, as like a spotlight, you could just go, no, Aslan is greater than my fear. And that then you're able to start seeing your way through. And Lucy could go, hey, let me take the wheel. Or like, we're going this way. Eustace, get, again, give Eustace an opportunity to not just be like useless. In the background? Like go, you know what? I had this experience with Aslan like just a few chapters ago. <laughs> he says chapters in the, in the real world. Uh, just a few islands ago, I had this experience where I was terrified. I was going to be a dragon the rest of my life. And I was going to like, but Aslan is greater than my fear. And he can go, Hey, I know that you have no reason to trust me, but trust me here because Aslan is better than the darkness and he is greater. I know that it's this way, man. If they had done that, if they had done what comes at the end of the next book that we're going to read, if they had done a man, Aslan is more real than this present darkness like correct if that's it did, that's if great that been the solution also if there's any potential writers listening to this podcast for whatever reason uh saying 
it looked like a cross is bad use of imagery and symbolism. It's that's not, not a good job. Like that's he, a that's a what's his like, name? And he stretched out his arms to hold <laughs> yeah, it all together. Like like that's that's the uh, the Kenneth Branagh. Uh, he we had to watch a like his version of Hamlet uh, in high school, and when spoiler alert for if you weren't alive the past several hundred years uh, and haven't you know heard of Hamlet. Uh, but when Hamlet dies, you know, he, you know, Kenneth Branagh is the director and the actor for Hamlet, uh, and he dies and he spreads his arm out and they carry him, you know, as Christ through here. And it's like a little heavy, little heavy handed. It's, yeah. you know, it's Superman. Like that in the, bad Superman in, movie where he floats where he, out of the thing in a cross. And he goes up against the sun and it's silhouetted and you're like, yeah, 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 we get it. Jesus is Messiah. Like that makes sense. But like. It's you don't have symbolism. to like it's you don't have to hit people in the face with it they get it like the way to do it is like i would say great like use of christ figures comes earlier in this in this series with aslan you know dying for someone's sins and returning from the grave uh, I mean, that's still a little on the nose. It's a little on the nose, but at least you're not saying yeah, it was Christ-like yeah, yeah. <laughs> in his sacrificial nature or, you know. Also uh, not as efficacious as you would want it to be if it was a true Christ metaphor. But yeah, 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 but whatever. See Harry do... Potter for better examples. <laughs> Chase, Harry Potter is full of witchcraft and, oh, and yeah. magic. Not that's like this book more. that is, the magic in this book is definitely better and more yeah. Christ-like. Yeah, that magic book that Lucy held last chapter definitely wasn't going to turn her into the White Witch. Totally, but she you definitely know, considered actually doing. We've we've talked about this as well before, but the uh, the willingness of like Christian culture to accept Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings as like pseudo like Christian canon uh, and like condemn Harry Potter is tough, but. I mean, it's because they know that this stuff is safe because they've read it instead of being willing to see what their kids are reading and actually engage with it in a critical way to know whether it's good or not. Correct. The Harry Potter fear was all just, I don't want to read that, so it must be evil. It's it like, must be. And it was, it was fear. You might like it. But... Speaking of fear, uh, once Lucy, you know, cries out to Aslan, the, you know, what, what begins to happen is she begins to feel a little bit better, even though the darkness hasn't, you know, start, like it's, it's still dark. She's feeling better. And then all of a sudden a cross in the, you know, in the sky shines down like a spotlight on the boat. Uh, and it like, <laughs> this is where it just gets so weird, Chase. Like we didn't really describe this in the in the summary. Wait, is there a dais in this machina? So this is this is like uh, this is the inkling stuff coming back again. Where you go? How much did they share? And C.S. Lewis is like, oh man, I love that whole Eagles thing that you know J.R.R. did. I'm gonna do that. Except this time, it's going to be an albatross made of light. <laughs> and you heard it here. Like, you, you, you heard that correctly, listeners. It is an albatross that grabs the boat and just, you know, pulls them out of the, uh, out of the darkness. Uh, and this is where we get, like, during this time, there's like a whisper that goes through everyone. And this is where you get one of the famous you know, like pastor quotes that we alluded to earlier that like, you know, any good, uh, any good preacher who loves him from C.S. Lewis is going to, you know, go back to this one. It's going to read it in conjunction with Joshua 1, 9. Uh, and it says, courage, dear heart. But it's Aslan's voice. And uh, a delicious smell was breathed in Lucy's face. And, you know, they begin to sail into the, the blue skies and everything's good again. Thank so you. Aslan really life. likes to blow in people's faces. Like <sighs> it's, it's kind of Pentecostal, but also yeah, 
it's just, look, if I went up to a random person on the street and like got in their face and just <sighs> like, they would punch me in the face. Yeah, but you're not Aslan. You're a tame lion. Aslan's I, not. Does you, let me show you. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but it's, you know, they, they've made it through the wilderness. You know, they've made it through, uh, but they, uh, so they're, they're fine now. Uh, also side note, Albatross of Light, I think is going to, it's a great band name. Uh, sure. I mean, like, what is that? Like, read Voyage of the Dawn Treader. You'd know. Yeah, that's, that's insufferable enough to, to be a uh, band. Yeah. I, I, dude, uh, it's, it's definitely going to be a band name that I, you know, include in my next ACL or NAW uh, game where I, you know, with my students, I, I create four band names. Three of them are made up by me. And one of them is an actual band that performed at ACL. And you have to guess which one is the real one. And it's hilarious because I've had students go, no, I saw them. I, that's a real band. And it's like, no, I made that up at my desk. <laughs> is the real band Washing Machine of Death, Albatraz of Light, or Death Rattle? Or Not a Tame Lion. They're all fake. They're all just <laughs> that's that's the trick. Uh, but they make it through, and Roop, uh, we find out. Hey, thank you for saving me. You, uh, you know, you won't know uh, who I am probably, but I'm a Telmarine of Narnia, who my name is Lord Roop. Wouldn't you believe it, Chase? They've made it all this way, and they found one of the people that they were looking for in an island Crazy. of darkness. It is wild stuff. And Caspian's like, yo, I'm actually your king. So, you know, this is great. And we were looking for you. <laughs> Bend the knee. He, you know, he uh he pulls his his dragon, Eustace, behind him, uh, and and forces Lord Roop to bend his knee. Uh <laughs> and Roop's like, ah, I'm by right. Like, if you're Roop, are you not questioning all this? Like, he's a crazy person. And all of a sudden, he says, you are the man in the world who I most wish to see. And, like, wouldn't you think that in the island of dreams, Chase, that this would have been a temptation or, like, a terror for him? Yeah, would have been a better way turn for this chapter to have him get into the light for the first time in 20 years. If you're saying, look, years. when I, like, over the weekend mowed the lawn, was out in the sunshine, and came back in from my backyard into the house into normal levels of light, I couldn't see for a good three or four minutes. To say that he hasn't been in pitch darkness for 20 years and suddenly is in light for the first time and isn't completely blind right now is probably Ridiculous. the most unrealistic part of this chapter. And the fact that, like, he has been in a state of constant terror for 20 yeah. years. And that he's not, he didn't have any PTSD or psychological effects right now. Come he's on He's not going to go to sleep ever again. No. Like, again, would have made, like, this chapter has so much potential for good stuff. Like, you could have dealt with Lord Roop going, I don't know what's real anymore. And, like, then as, like, his the belief in Aslan has to be the thing that like brings him into clarity of thought and mind. So much good stuff could have happened. And then instead they just go, what the dark Island is gone forever. Thanks Aslan. Now. Yeah. If he had said, well, you're the person I most wanted to see. Wait. And then goes and tries to dive off the boat. Yeah. That would have been more fun. Like do something here. Uh, as opposed to just being like, well, I guess the island's been destroyed, and Lord Roop is like, "You killed it, you destroyed it." And Lucy's like, "Well, I don't, I don't think it was us." And Drinian, the you know, the 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 straight man in this, the the rationalist, goes, "Well, I don't care who it was, but let's set sail. Like, let's uh, everyone, like, let's uh, let's go away. Uh, and after you know, after a while, everyone can just get some sleep because everyone knows that the best thing to do after being at a place where Freddy Krueger was attacking you was go get sleep. Yep. It's a, 
Like they literally just sail with great joy and no one even noticed that the great albatross had disappeared. The albatross of light is gone. Uh, Caspian's calling for grog all around. Hi-ho, he says. Hi-ho. And then the chapter's done, Chase. Yep. It's, uh, it's fine. <laughs> it, it is what it is. It's okay. Man, so much potential. We will wasted. sail on to the next island where they will find people who they were already looking for. Maybe, yeah, I guess. This up. Like, it's bound to happen. You know, that's that's the only thing that happens in this book is, oh, we found this one guy that y'all don't know, but Caspian does. Yeah. Sort I mean, of, but he was a baby when this happened. It feels like he got past chapter 11 and realized, oh, I'm over halfway through the chapters that I was planning to write for this book. I should probably start wrapping this up, but we've still got like four dudes to find because there are 15 chapters, no, 16 chapters in this book. 16. So we have four more in this book. Which we haven't complained about C.S. Lewis's pacing issues before. Don't worry about it. We would never. And like, here's the, here's the thing. We have four chapters. Spoiler alert for the rest of the book. If you don't want to know kind of like general outline, uh, one of these, they will discover the other three all in one chapter. And uh, in one chapter, they will be uh, going like in the, the final chapter. If I remember correctly, they are both discovering Aslan uh, in his country and as well, returning back to the world. Yeah. It's it's literally like the last two or three chapters of the book are just like they all have the word end in the title. Yeah. It's the beginning of the end of the world. The uh oh, the wonders of the last sea. So it's end, last, and then the end of the world. There you go. Uh but it it just it is what it is. But Chase, speaking of the end. Would you like to dive further up and further in for us? I would love to dive off of this boat. Mm. So, uh, yeah. I mean, the undertow of this chapter is this idea that, look, they're sailing into the dark. It's this big, evil, foreboding cloud. But the real darkness was in themselves the whole time. Mm. Like, that, that really is the idea here, like the darkness within ourselves is the greatest enemy of all. And this actually is a very like well-trod idea within literature, within storytelling, within the way that we think as a society, like you may have heard it said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. that. that, That is this idea that like there may be enemies all around us, but the greatest obstacle that we have to overcome is is ourselves. And so a lot of times the deeper plot within a story, like you have the big problem that they're trying to overcome, but the only way that they can actually overcome that problem is by going and overcoming their own pains and fears and character flaws and weaknesses. And whenever they're finally able to do that, this is often when a character levels up is only after they're able to face the internal battle within themselves. Only after they're able to face the deeper, like think of Luke on Dagobah facing the imaginary Darth Vader who turns out to be himself. It's his head in the helmet whenever it falls off. Or think about Anakin Skywalker and his fear of murdering younglings and how much he levels up after overcoming that. Uh, (laughs) Or a real one in Avatar The Last Airbender when Aang's chakra is blocked up until he can get past his fear of losing Katara. Like this idea that the battle within ourselves is what equips us to fight the battle outside ourselves. And it's only after uh, we do this that we can it's only after we face ourselves that we can actually know what we're made of and face everything else like i said a real one <laughs> and quoted avatar last year but like 
it's still fictional, but no, that's what I mean by real. I mean a real... it's not it's not good. The younglings. <laughs> no, I, I understood you and it was just funny. Uh oh, further up and further argue in from the Sith perspective that Anakin Skywalker overcoming his attachment to the Jedi Order. Well, from my perspective, the to... Jedi are evil. I hate sand. Hey. Makes sense. For my further up and further in. We're going to talk about British imperialism. Whoop, whoop. Uh, and uh, so if you, you know, if you were uh, like me and went through your uh, your history classes, uh, they probably gave you some helpful acronyms for uh, what were the motivations behind imperialism, behind manifest destiny, uh, you know, for the Americans, uh, behind, you know, conquest from uh, the Europeans going to all the different countries. And the four main ones that are commonly used and quoted uh, in are God, guns, gold, and glory. And glory is going to be the one we talk about right now, but briefly explaining those, uh, you know, God would be the uh, expansion, the evangelism, you know, bringing your God to other peoples. Uh, that was the, and, you know, uh, stated goal of a lot of people, if even if it was the, uh, you know, the scapegoat goal. Uh, and then there were uh, guns, which is you want to conquer, you want to use force to conquer new lands. Gold, you want to take the riches from new places and from uh, the, the resources from places to make yourself more wealthy. And then finally, glory, which we see replicated in Reaper Cheap, our little imperialist rat, uh, and uh, where your goal for voyaging, for expansion, is to seek glory, to seek honor, uh, and this idea, this chivalrous idea of adventure, of bringing glory and pride to your nation for being the ones to discover something, for being the first to sail around the world, for being the first person to discover America, even though people already lived there. Uh, and so this is this idea that Reepicheep very much represents is this old school imperialist medieval almost way of thinking of the chivalry of going, no, we do all for glory, for honor. And is glory and honor practical? Uh, and the answer is no, because ultimately what you're doing is bringing pride to a nation state that is more or less like it's made up based on things that you like people have already created, uh, right? It's the space race. Uh, where if you look historically, Russia dominated it. They were the first to do every single thing except for send people to the moon. But do you know what people remember the most? It's not all the cosmonauts. It's not Sputnik. It's the fact that we landed on the moon first. So, you know, USA won, Russia 19, but like the 19 has got an asterisk. Uh, it's this idea of seeking glory, seeking honor. And like what was, you know, ultimately because we landed on the moon, what do we get from that? Nothing but pride. There is no base on the moon unless you talk about the Transformers who are on the dark side of it. Uh, there is uh, nothing there except a, like an American flag to show that we did it first. And, you know, what is the ultimate like use of that? As Drinian says, nothing. It's this, it's a medieval imperialist way of thinking that uh, it seeped its way into Reepicheep. My favorite character who happens to have a few really issue, like big issues and flaws in his mindset. But Chase, we're out of the darkness, my friend. I've seen the, the light wings uh, of a giant albatross carrying me through. Uh, and though our listeners are still in the dark because this is an audio medium, yep. I will let you know that there is light at the end of this tunnel. And the light at the end of this tunnel comes when you share this podcast with all of your friends and family members and anyone else. Uh, go rate and review us on Audible, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere where you find podcasts. Uh, five stars only, please. Uh, it helps the uh, you know algorithms and everything. Go leave us a review. Follow us on Instagram at the Chronicles of Podcast, uh, where you know throughout the week we'll let you know when things are being posted. We'll you know come engage with us however you want. Let us know if there's anything you'd like to hear. If you think we're a little too critical of Clive, if you think we're not critical enough. Uh, but let us know what your what your thoughts are. But until then, uh, we're glad you're out of the darkness and we hope that all of your dreams come true. I got to go to the zoo and see or a sloth and a uh, manatee manatee.
what a weird combo, you know? You don't it, usually see those two together, but but it was the Dallas World Aquarium, which is basically like a uh indoor um Houston. It feels like Houston inside. It, it's a greenhouse that has animals in it and it's a uh, real real sweaty. It's a real sweaty place, girl. You know, there are penguins. My thoughts on zoos are very much like if you've seen one decent zoo, you've you've been doing enough zoos kind of thing. And I know that that's, you know, not necessarily true. And spoken like a guy who doesn't really care to spend a ton of time with animals. I like animals, but I don't like, I'm not like, wow, animals. Yeah. I mean, I think about it like, any, like, I value going to a zoo the same level that I value going to a sporting event in which, I mean, I'm not there for the thing that's there. I'm there, You're for, there for everyone else. Yeah. And so like it's a it's great backdrop experience. for uh, just like commenting on a random thing, which there's a lot of random things at a zoo and yeah. like having a good time messing around. 